0: Uh, I'm really happy to be back after being away last Sunday. A big thank you to Steve Crosby for filling in last week. Uh, We are continuing our series on Jesus' parables today. This is actually our 13th week in the parables. and uh, If you want to follow along in your own Bible, you can start making your way to Matthew 25, starting in verse 1. Uh, Matthew 25, verse 1. Uh, This is what is often called the parable of the ten virgins, which I don't think is a very good title, and I'll explain why later. Uh, But before we get into it, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance to gather around your scriptures and around your table. And Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit to move in our hearts and in our minds this morning. Uh, Help us to attend to you and to what you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? All right. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight the cry ran out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. All right, this is a tough one. There's a lot to unpack here. So let's go back to the top. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. At that time. At what time? What's Jesus talking about? This parable is describing a particular moment What is it? Well, immediately before this, chapter 24, uh, Jesus talks about what's called the end of the age. The Jews had an expectation that one day this age would end, this age of sin and brokenness. And they believed a day would come when evil would be judged and the righteous would be rewarded and things would be set right with God's creation. And in the chapter before this, the disciples asked, well, when will that happen, basically? And Jesus gives a long answer, which there's a lot of details in it that are kind of confusing, and interpreters have debated over them. It's it's a difficult passage. But the gist of his answer is, you can't know when. Nobody knows. And then he said, when it does happen, though... It's going to be kind of like this. And then he tells the parable. Now, the parable is usually called the parable of the 10 virgins. But I think it should be called the parable of the wedding fail, Uh, because that's what this story is really about. It's not about the virginity of 10 women. Uh, It is about a wedding fail. Anyone who's ever planned a wedding knows that it is very stressful, right? There's an enormous amount of pressure to get things just right. And if things aren't just right, it's awkward. I, maybe you know someone like this, but I never have known anybody that said, Boy, I loved planning my wedding and I wish I could do that again. Like, people, people's attitude is usually, I'm glad it's done, I'm glad I got through it. Because it's stressful, because of that pressure right? to get everything everything just right. Um, I remember in seminary, one of my professors had been a pastor for like 40 years. And he said, at this point in my life, I will do your funeral, but I won't do your wedding. (laughs) Because weddings are so stressful. So this parable is about a wedding where something goes wrong and it's awkward. One of the wedding customs of the time was that there was an evening procession uh, where the bride's friends were supposed to go out to meet the groom and then lead him back to where the bride and the wedding feast was going to be. And This was typically an an evening procession. And uh, so, When you hear the parable of the ten virgins, you should really hear something like the parable of the ten bridesmaids. These were the friends of the bride who were supposed to help lead the groom in this procession. This was the custom of the time. I don't know why this was the custom of the time. Um, I'm sure that they would look at a lot of our customs today and say, why do you guys do that? And we might not even know for sure. right? But this is just the way that things are. When you have a wedding, there are certain customs. They have to be done, and if they're not done right, It's awkward, right? Um, So, five of these bridesmaids did the right thing, and five of them committed a serious wedding fail, serious wedding gaffe. Um, This would be kind of like the best man losing the ring, or one of the bridesmaids wearing white, uh, something like that. And what they did was that they did not bring oil for their lamps. And that's a problem when your wedding procession happens at midnight. So when the bridesmaids realize that the groom is on the way, the five who have forgotten to bring oil ask for some oil from the other five bridesmaids. And the other five say, there's not enough. You know, if we give some to you, then what's going to end up happening? We're all going to run out, and they're all going to be awkwardly walking in the dark. It's not the way the wedding's supposed to go. So the other five bridesmaids go out at midnight to try and buy oil, you know, to the 24-hour oil mart. And um, I don't know uh, what the problem was exactly, but. They were not able to get any oil. And uh, maybe the problem was that the groom just came back a little too soon, right? Uh, The groom arrives, the procession happens, and they miss it. Major major wedding fail, right there. You know, imagine if you went to a wedding and half the bridesmaids missed the ceremony because they were out looking for better shoes. that, (laughs) That is what this is like. So eventually, the five foolish bridesmaids try to get into the wedding party, but the door is shut. Their chance to participate in the celebration has been lost. Very sad. So, the question that we have to ask is how is the end of the age like this parable? Right? In what way is the end of the age like what's described here? And I see three big points that Jesus is making here. So, number one, no one's going to know for sure when it's happening. Right? The bridesmaids did not know for sure when the groom was going to show up. And that was part of the problem. Two, some people will be ready and some people won't. And three, you don't want to not be ready. Right? You don't want to miss out on the party. Verse 13 pretty much sums up all three of these points when Jesus says, Therefore, keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour. Be ready. So this should lead us to ask, well, what does it mean, practically speaking, to keep watch? I'm afraid that a lot of people have taken keep watch to mean something like, Figure out when Jesus is coming back. Or keep looking for signs of the end of the world with sort of a, a paranoid fervency, right? Where you're, you're looking at prophecies in the Bible and making charts and that sort of thing and you know, trying to assign certain countries to certain symbols in the Bible. But I don't think that's what Jesus has in mind. When he says, keep watch. A lot of people have made predictions over the last 2,000 years about when the end will come, right? They've made predictions and all of them have been wrong. When the pandemic started, I heard some people wondering out loud could this be the end? You know, anytime there's a war or a significant threat of war, people wonder. Is it happening? Is this it? Is Jesus coming back? And there is always a few people out there who say, yes, this is it. And I can prove it to you. See? Look at the way that I explain this part of the Bible. But I encourage you not to give those people your attention. And definitely don't give them your money. Because Jesus said, we can't know. He said that very very clearly. Look at what Jesus says right before this parable. Chapter 24, verse 4. So the disciples have just asked him, What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answers, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end's still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. So basically, what Jesus says there is don't assume it's the end of the age because bad stuff is happening, right? because of wars, and rumors of wars, and famines, and earthquakes. And I I think we could just add to that natural disasters in general, right? pandemics, that sort of thing. Don't assume it's the end because bad stuff is happening. You shouldn't be caught off guard or surprised by these kinds of things, because this is the kind of stuff that's always happened. Look throughout history. In every generation, there have been wars and pandemics and riots and dissension and conflict, right? But whenever it happens in our time, we think it's abnormal, right? That this must be the sign, that this is the end. But it's a kind of a self-centered way of looking at the world. You know, I think back in the bubonic plague. They estimate that, estimate that about a quarter of the world's population died. Now, if you were living then, you can imagine. You'd think, this must be it, right? But it wasn't. So keeping watch does not mean obsessing over the news to look for evidence of the apocalypse, it doesn't mean trying to crack Bible codes and that sort of thing. Keeping watch means being ready to stand before God. It means being ready to meet him face to face. Right now, it's like that. there's a veil between us and God. Uh, the Apostle Paul talked about this uh, when he said that for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known." Mirrors in those days were nowhere near as nice as they are now. They were made out of bronze. And so they're kind of dingy and not, not clear. Right? And so when you looked into a mirror, it was kind of like looking at your reflection through fog. Right? And what Paul is saying is that's kind of what it's like now when we try to look at God, comprehend God, understand. It's, there's a veil. It's dingy. It's, but one day, it won't be like that anymore. One day, it'll be like we're standing before God face to face. The veil will be removed. Now, either we're going to die and we're going to stand before God face to face. Or the end of the age will come. Christ will return when we're alive and we'll stand before God face to face. Uh, But either way, it's going to happen. And either way, there is an unpredictability to when that is going to happen. Right? We don't know when we're going to die, and we don't know when Jesus will return. A couple of days ago, Sarah and I were sitting on the couch, watching something on TV, and I was not paying attention at all to what was on the screen because, in my mind, I was thinking about my my lifespan, and uh, I was thinking, okay, let's take for granted that first 21 years is youth, and then you start adulthood, and I was trying to think how far long into adulthood am I, like. Am I still in early adulthood? Am I in middle adulthood? When does elder adulthood start? You know, this, this is the sort of stuff I think about. And, uh, and then I had to remind myself, I have no idea where I'm at, because I don't know how much time I have, right? And nobody does. And sometimes when we think about our lives, we have this, expectation, like, oh, I know, you know, I've got about this many decades. And it's not wrong to plan for the future, thinking that way. But the truth is, right, none of us know when the veil will be removed. None of us know when we will meet God face to face. We can't take it for granted. We don't know, and, you know, the parable reminds us of that. So. In the parable, being ready is symbolized by having oil for your lamp, right? So that leads to the question, or it should lead us to the question, well, what does that oil represent? And the text doesn't give us a specific answer, which, I don't know about you, I find that a little bit frustrating. I just want Jesus to say, the oil means this. Since the text doesn't give us a specific answer, I don't want to speculate a lot. And if I don't speculate, the most reasonable answer to me seems to be just to say, the oil represents putting Jesus' teaching into practice. Right? The, this is in the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew contains the Sermon on the Mount. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, after Jesus has given all this teaching, he says, a wise person is a person who hears what I've said and puts it into practice. That person is like somebody who builds a house on rock. But somebody who hears what I've said and doesn't apply it to their life, doesn't put it into into practice, that is like somebody who builds their house on sand. And so when the tough times come, um, if you've built your house on sand, then it's just going to wash away. When the veil is removed, when the bridegroom returns, if we haven't put Jesus' words into practice, if we've only heard them but not responded to them, it's like we've built on a foundation of sand. Right. So I don't think it's a stretch to say the oil represents putting Jesus' teaching into practice. So let's think about what Jesus has taught us through these parables that we've been looking at over the last several months. This is a, a quick recap here of parable lessons. Um, learn to love the people you hate. That's the Good Samaritan, right? Celebrate God's grace towards sinners. That's the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. Care for those in need. That's the rich man in Lazarus. Keep trusting in the goodness of God, even when it's hard to believe in that because the world is so messed up. That's the persistent widow. Value generosity more than fairness. That's the workers in the vineyard. Practice humility. That's the Pharisee and the tax collector. Forgive. That's the unmerciful servant. Value people more than money. That's the shrewd manager. right? It's one thing to read the parables, seek understanding, come away with these nice little neat lessons, but it's another thing entirely to actually live this out, right? to put it into practice, to actually try to orient our lives around these kinds of principles. And what Jesus is saying is, here is, you, know, you should not be putting off Practicing faith, practicing forgiveness, practicing mercy and grace and humility. Because if the end of the age comes and we haven't learned any of these things at all, it's going to be awkward. Right? Like the best man forgetting the ring. Like the bridesmaids wearing white. And if that happens we're going to miss out on the party. Because our hearts won't be able to receive the kingdom of heaven. Right? How can our hearts receive a place where generosity is valued more than fairness, or where mercy is celebrated, or you know, where all the money that we've saved is, is gone if we haven't learned any of this? Right? Our hearts won't be able to receive the kingdom of heaven. Is there someone that you need to forgive or to ask for forgiveness from? And you think, well, I'll do that eventually. I'll do it later. You don't know how many laters you're going to have, right? Eventually, our laters run out. And what Jesus is saying is keep watch. You don't know the day or the hour. Live ready for the end. Because you don't know when the end's gonna come. I think it's so sad that some Christians have thought of being ready for the end as having an underground bunker and canned food on hand and ammunition. (laughs) Right? That's not what it means to be ready for the end. Being ready for the end means making peace in your relationships, right? It means learning to be a person of mercy. And forgiveness. It means letting go of grudges. It means saying the things now that you would regret saying if death made it impossible. It means practicing what Jesus taught. And then the other consistent theme throughout Jesus' teaching is the need to respond to Him, to trust in Him, to put faith in Him, right? the need to recognize Jesus as the true king of the universe, the true king of creation. That's part of what it means to have oil in our lamps as well. right? So we have to ask ourselves, well, have we confessed Jesus as Lord? Have we said yes to his invitation to follow him and to trust him? There is no better way to put oil in our lamps than by doing that. The other part of the parable that stands out to me is when the foolish bridesmaids ask the other bridesmaids to share their oil. And of course, they say no, right? There won't be enough to go around. Is there something that we're supposed to learn from that? And I think there is. And the lesson is not that we shouldn't share obviously. I think the lesson is that each of us has a personal responsibility for being ready for death or for Christ's return. We have a personal responsibility to be ready to stand before our maker face to face. And no one else can do that preparation for us. You know, as as human beings, we have this natural tendency to shift the blame off of ourselves and onto something else or somebody else. That is just human nature. I think the story of Adam and Eve in the beginning of the Bible is a perfect example of this, right? Um, They break God's command, and then God says to them, Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And Adam's response is just so reflective of human nature. What does he say to God? He says, "Well, the woman that you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it." Right. So first, she shifts the blame to Eve, and then she just takes it up. He takes it up another step higher, and actually blames God because God put Eve there. Right. That is human nature. <laughs> In a nutshell, right there, we feel the shame, we want to be relieved from the shame, and so we try to do some kind of self justification, which usually involves blaming somebody else. It's my parents' fault. It's society's fault. It's God's fault because He made me this way, right? That's our our natural tendency blame shifting. You know, I think that if I was one of the bridesmaids in the parable, I would probably blame shift. I'd say, oh, the groom, he took so long. He shouldn't have been so late. If he came here earlier, it wouldn't have been so dark. Right? Or uh, the bride, she should have reminded us about this. She's in charge. She's supposed to direct this whole thing, you know? Or the other bridesmaids, they had enough. They should have shared. Blame shift. Self-justification, right? And what Jesus is saying here is you're not going to be able to blame shift when you stand before God, when the veil is removed, when the end of the age comes, when death comes. You just, you can't. You have a personal responsibility. You know, a good pastor can teach and encourage and listen, but no pastor can put oil in your lamp. Can't be done. You have to choose to trust Jesus. You have to choose to seek God. You have to choose to allow God's Spirit to work in you and cultivate mercy and generosity and humility. Nobody else can do that for you. Now, That responsibility, I realize it might feel a little scary, but there's also this tremendous dignity in that, right? You have a choice. I can't make it for you. Nobody can make it for you. Your parents can't make it for you. The government can't make it for you. It's up to you. Trust Jesus or don't. So let's keep watch. Let's trust him. Let's put Jesus' words into practice. Let's live ready for the end. However that may come, whenever that may come, let's not miss the party. Lord, we thank you for this warning. And I pray that we would heed it. I pray that your spirit would speak to us about um, how we should respond to it. Lord, um, if any of us are feeling anxious and we shouldn't, uh, remind us, Lord, of your, your care and the security that we have in you. Um, but if any, if any of us are anxious because we really aren't ready, um, Lord, bring to mind uh, what we need to do so that we can live in light of the end. Call to our minds specific ways that we we should be putting your teaching into practice. And Lord, if we haven't put our trust in you, Lord, help us to take that step to cross that bridge and to believe. In Jesus' name, amen.